And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. Each week, the MarTech Podcast tells stories of world-class marketers who use technology to create lasting success with their business and their careers. If you like any of these topics, you're going to like the MarTech Podcast how science is changing advertising, how to set up a CRM so you actually use it, private equities take on digital transformation, why big social is focused on newsletters. If these are topics that resonate with you, go check out the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go listen at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is John Hagel. John has spent over 40 years in Silicon Valley. He is an experienced uh, management consultant, entrepreneur, speaker, and author. He has recently retired from Deloitte. He founded a new company, Beyond Our Edge, that works with companies and people who are seeking to anticipate the future and achieve much greater impact. He's also worked with McKinsey & Co. and Boston Consulting Group. In addition to his new book, he's also the author of seven other books. He is widely published and quoted in major business outlets, including The Economist, Fortune, Forbes, Business Week, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, NBC, and BBC. So what do we speak about? Well, Let's, let me provide some context. So whether or not you're building a career, raising a family, running a business, attending school, uncertainty has been the name of the game for years, especially in the past two years. And the feeling has reached an all-time high with the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, for the past year, even the smartest, savviest, toughest people have been feeling an enormous amount of pressure and often feel paralyzed by fear. He speaks about the journey beyond fear, moving past fear, even in the worst possible circumstances. So some of the strategies that he likes to deploy for people that he works with, uh, high-performing entrepreneurs, individuals, executives that he's going to teach over uh, is creating the right personal narrative that can truly change the course of your life. He speaks about something called the passion of the explorer. So he says that people that have this passion are excited about the opportunity to achieve more in their chosen domain. And he basically teaches you how to live this passion of the explorer and how to build passion at any stage in your life, young or old, in any particular domain. And it's not always by building your strengths. He speaks about how to use communities to move forward, to push through fear, to push through these hurdles in your life, uh, groups of small people that are like-minded that can support you. He also, and also how to find these groups, who you should be associating with, who should be in your inner circle. He, and lastly, he speaks about what causes fear. Why do we feel fear 
And how does it impact us so much when we think we're badass, we're tough, we've got everything figured out? Why does fear seem to paralyze all of us, especially when things are going great and we know that we should be good, but something happens and we just get that imposter syndrome, we get that doubt, he's going to walk you through that. So this is John Hagel, serial entrepreneur, uh, serial management consultant, serial author, just an incredibly experienced and tenured individual. He is the intersection of entrepreneurship, startup, personal, professional growth. My origin, if we go way back in time, I grew up in a different country every year as a child. So a global upbringing. Um, and at one, at one level, hugely exciting, very uh, stimulating. Uh, at another level, I had a dysfunctional family. Um, so I was, uh, my mother had big anger issues and I was subjected to rage attacks. Um, and my father was a, a very gentle soul and he retreated. He wasn't there to defend me or protect me. So I was isolated and, um, it grew up in fear. That's uh, part of my journey is uh, starting with fear. And in the early days, one of my ways of dealing with the fear was to retreat to my bedroom and uh, read science fiction stories, uh, novels. And at the time, science fiction was all about the incredible opportunities, things, the wonderful future ahead. So it was a way for me to uh, at least balance the fear a bit with a sense of you know, amazing things coming in the future. So that was my start. I was uh, raised basically to believe that my needs did not matter, that it was all about serving other people. Um, and that was really the driver for me for, for many decades was, you know, um, asking to help people in addressing whatever problems they had. My, my needs didn't really matter. Uh, I also, because my parents were very strong in terms of academic um, interests, they uh, I tr did my best to uh, satisfy them from the viewpoint of academic performance. I did an undergraduate degree in African and Asian studies. I then, uh, because I had not spent much time in Africa or Asia, most of my childhood was in South America and Europe. Uh, and then to round it out, I did a graduate degree in modern Middle Eastern studies at Oxford University, because that was another part of the world I hadn't been to. And then finally did a, both a law degree and a business degree at Harvard. So I was doing my best to impress my parents and please my parents with academic performance, even though I actually hated school all the way through. So <laughs> that's a lot of school to hate school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, but then I ended up, it's a longer story, but I ended up uh, at Boston Consulting Group in Boston. <clears throat> I was living in Boston at the time and spent a couple of years there. Um, but as in the summer in, in college, I had had an opportunity to spend some time out in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I fell in love with the Bay Area. And part of it was, um, it was in the very early days of Silicon Valley, but what attracted me was the sense of optimism out here, the view that um, there's an incredible opportunity, exponential opportunity in the world. And so two years into BCG, I came up with an idea for a, to start a computer company. 
Um, and uh, I figured what better place to start a computer company than in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. So I used that as my opportunity to move out here. And I've been here ever since. I've been here over 40 years now. Um, and I started a computer company, even though I had never used a computer before, much less studied technology. And I was a liberal arts guy, but I managed to find some good tech people to work with me. And we, we <clears throat> created a successful company, Turnkey Computer Systems for Doctors, and uh, sold it to a larger company. And then, um, oh boy, I got recruited into a company that, some of you may remember uh, Atari in the video game business. <laughs> I was uh, head of strategy for Atari um, and uh, fought a, 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 a battle to try to get Atari to shift its focus to um, the computer business, not just uh, uh, video games, uh, but ended up helping to sell Atari to a different uh, set of owners. And then used that to go to a McKinsey and Company um, and spent 16 years with McKinsey as a uh, partner. I was a leader in their strategy practice. I founded two, started two practices uh, um, while I was at McKinsey. I helped open up their Silicon Valley office. Um, and uh, I started writing books, uh, business books at McKinsey, um, and they were quite successful. And back in, ooh, this was 1993, I started uh, their e-commerce practice. This was when the internet was just beginning to, to get known. Um, but after 16 years at McKinsey, I got uh, attracted to another startup in the computer business and uh, was a head of strategy for that uh, startup for two years. Um, and then, um, long story as to what happened there, but... I ended up um, getting um, going off on my own and spent, I think it was about five years just doing work on my own. By that time, I had a pretty big reputation and uh, a network of people that I could work as a consultant to. I was still basically focused on other people's needs. And um, after about five years doing that, I got a, a recruited by Deloitte. Uh, to set up a new research center for them. Uh, and it's what we ended up calling the Center for the Edge. And then the charter there was to identify emerging business opportunities that should be on the CEO's agenda, but are not, and doing the research to persuade them to put it on their agenda. So we were trying to stay one step ahead of the um, clients that Deloitte was serving. And then... Uh, Ah, the journey continues. I retired from Deloitte as a partner. I was a partner there for 13 years and um, retired in August of last year and used that as a, an opportunity to finish this new book that you mentioned, The Journey Beyond Fear. And now I'm wanting to start a whole new chapter of my life, which is uh, building a new center that will be what I call an activation center that will help people in their journey beyond fear, helping them to achieve more impact. So you don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> you don't stop. No, no, uh, just um, the beginning. I love that. Um, 
as you go through your career, you, you mentioned a few things, but it seems like the theme is always helping other people, always helping other people. Even like the practice of consulting by definition is like you're just helping, you're helping other people. But I don't, I don't hear a lot of, of fear in your career. In fact, a lot of the moves you made were fearless almost. So what is, what is the principles or the, the thought and the reason for you to write a book about fear? What does that mean? Well, I actually had a huge amount of fear. I mean, the whole notion of helping others was my, my fear was that I had no need, that my needs didn't matter and that if I didn't help others, I would fail. And um, so it, it helped me to be very successful as a consultant, for sure. And even as an entrepreneur, I was focused on helping others with um, new, new innovations. Um, but it was um, the catalyst for this book was actually about, uh, I started the book about three years ago. And as part of my work, I was traveling around the world. And what I was struck by was that everywhere I went, uh, the dominant emotion that I was encountering was fear. At the highest levels of organizations, at the lowest levels, out in the communities, and while I've come to believe that fear is very understandable, I think there are reasons for fear. I also think it's very limiting and ultimately very uh, uh, destructive. And so um, that was the catalyst for me to say, first of all, I want people to recognize the fear that's going around the world, but then motivating them to make this journey beyond fear and cultivating emotions that will really help them to achieve much more impact that's meaningful to them. And can we can we properly define what living in a state of fear is for an executive, for an entrepreneur, for even somebody outside the realm of a professional environment? Because I feel like what as you as you walk through this, you're just you're just saying that we constantly just live in a state of fear, fear of expectation, fear of deliverable deliverables, fear of uh are we are we fulfilling what we're supposed to be fulfilling doing what we're supposed to be doing what is what is the what is the status quo for fear and and fear in a professional environment right now yeah i think there again many reasons for fear um but I, as part of my research i've looked at the long term forces that are reshaping the global economy and society and i think those the impact of those forces is to create mounting performance pressure on all of us. I mean, at one level, we're facing intensifying competition on a global scale. Um, and it's both at the level of corporations, but also at the level of individuals. I mean, more and more workers are now worried that their jobs are gonna be taken by a robot or by artificial intelligence, and they're competing for just to maintain their job. Um, so there's intensifying competition, there's accelerating pace of change, Things that we thought we could count on are no longer there. Um, and then, as if that weren't enough, you've got, because of all this connectivity we've created on a global scale, we've got small events in a faraway place in the world that cascade into extreme disruptive events. You know, Dare I mention pandemic? Um, I think that's just one example of the kinds of extreme events that we'll increasingly see in, in the world. So when you combine all of that, increasing competition, accelerating change, extreme disruptive events, 
there's good reason. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the leading business CRM. Now, creating a legacy business starts with investing in sustainable, scalable tools. HubSpot is the number one CRM for starting, growing, and scaling businesses. With the HubSpot CRM, you have a purpose-built solution that's tailored to your business and your business alone. Now, I've used HubSpot for many years now, but just this year, they're releasing some new features. These are some of the ones that I'm definitely most excited about. So first new feature is called business units. So business units allow you to confidently manage contacts, marketing, and sales assets and settings across multiple brands, which means clearer insights to empower whatever it is you're trying to do. There's also new admin features like permissions, templates, and OKTA integration, which makes it easier than ever to add, remove, and edit users, give them the proper permissions as needed. And lastly, a new HubSpot feature that's rolling out is called Sandboxes. So with Sandboxes, all admins have access to production-like accounts, allowing them to test, iterate, and experiment with new go-to-market strategies, campaigns, before they actually push them live. This is a game changer because now you can actually see what works in this sandbox environment, very similar to what a developer would do in a pre-prod or a testing environment. If you want to learn all about HubSpot's latest features, some of the new features I just spoke about, you can customize your CRM platform as well as learn about all these new features and all the old legacy features as well at HubSpot.com. To be afraid. And then, by the way, I'll just say that as if that weren't enough, we have a news media that is largely feeding fear. I challenge people and ask them, when was the last time you saw a news story that was good news? about something wonderful happening in the world. No, we're all focused on the latest catastrophe or disaster, wherever it is in the world. And it's like a, a sense the world's collapsing around us. Um, and then just to wrap it up, I'll also say- No, 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 it's, 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 it's all good. This don't, don't feel the need to, to rush through. <laughs> I, I, I actually was gonna, I was gonna double down and just understand the process of the of even the research that you did for the book because i think that everything you're saying resonates so 100 yeah. i think everybody agrees with it but many people don't look any deeper than just this is the reality right so even like the finish up what you were just mentioning but also what's the what's the process of of research for the book how did you actually start this uh, sort of investigation yeah so I, just to, the final note on the fear is I believe we increasingly live in political environments around the world where all the politicians, and I don't hold one side or the other more or less guilty in this, all sides are increasingly focused on what I call threat-based narratives. It's all about the enemies coming to get us. We need to mobilize now and resist or we're gonna die. And that feeds the fear again. Oh my God, we're gonna die, we're under attack. You know, I'm afraid. So as if the forces themselves weren't enough, we've got the political environment and the news environment that are just feeding this fear on a daily basis. And I think it's, again, very understandable why more and more people are consumed by this fear. Um, in terms of the research, I mean, this was um, largely done when I was at the leading the Center for the Edge at Deloitte because our, our perspective was that to really anticipate opportunities, we had to understand the forces that were shaping the global economy and what the consequences of those forces are. So that was what led us to expand our horizons. I mean, one of the things we find in business is increasingly business is becoming more and more short-term focused. 
And in part, that's fear. That's a natural consequence of fear. We, we don't have the time or willingness to look ahead. We just want to focus on getting the job done at the moment because we're under so much pressure. And so just stepping back and saying, no, we need to understand how the world is evolving, the long-term consequences, was something that most executives and business people in general don't really have time to to explore. And our feeling was it's it's absolutely essential if we're going to really thrive in this changing world is to look ahead. So so the the instigator for more fear is is higher expectations. Those higher expectations, nobody really thinks through. It's just delivering for shareholders, delivering on bottom line. And then that trickles down into fear in the average individual trying to always achieve more and more and more. Um, was it, what, what do you think was the, the precursor for these added expectations? Was it technology? Was it uh, further propagated by COVID? I'm, sh I'm sure to some extent. So what was the main instigator for this? No, no, well, this again goes back many decades. I mean, okay. the big shift as we, as we began to understand it, our belief is it actually started back in the 1960s. And we're, I think even though it's been decades, we're still in the early stages of this big shift. And part of it is um, a, an important part is this notion of digital technology and the way it's changing business at a fundamental level all the connectivity that's creating, the, the accelerating change. Uh, another force that's been playing out unevenly, but over time it's, it's been pretty significant, is the uh, reduction of trade barriers around the world. So again, you have less political barriers to, to trade and competition increases across the world. Um, you know, and the intersection too, I mean, because of uh, all this, all these changes now, you can hire somebody in Africa to do work in the United States. Um, so the competition for jobs is not just within your local community, it's around the world. Uh, one of my favorite billboards, there was a billboard in Silicon Valley many years ago, which said, how does it feel to know there are at least one million people around the world who can do your job? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> like it feels horrible it's, it's yeah. not a good feeling <laughs> you know and a few decades ago it would have been an absurd question i mean that doesn't matter i'm here they're there doesn't matter well guess what now it matters it's real wherever they are they can compete for your job so yeah so all right so that's the that's the instigator so let's let's speak about let's speak about the solution. So obviously, it's sort of just been getting worse and worse and worse over the years. Again, as as globalization and technology and barriers are broken down, like you said, all these things contribute to fear. Our expectations are higher. How do we how do we fix it? How, what's yeah. the what's the solution? Which is obviously <laughs> not uh, an easy one, right? Right. No, for sure. And again, it was the motivation to write the book. And I, I want to start by saying that I don't think the book itself is the solution. I think it's the start to build awareness of the potential for a journey and some of the elements on it. Um, but, you know, I ended up and this was, again, the result of a lot of research as well as my own lessons along my personal journey. But I've come to believe there are three 
pillars, I call them pillars, that can be very helpful in the journey. And one is what I call a narrative. The second is passion. And third is platform. And the challenge for me is I have very different definitions of each of those terms. I mean, most people have attached very different meanings to narrative, passion, platform. So part of the book is just explaining why I have a different meaning to it and why I think it's so critical in terms of helping us in the in that journey beyond fear. But who are these lessons for? Are these for CEOs or are these for individuals? They're for everyone. I think okay. the book, you know, most of my books have been business books. And certainly yeah. I think this has huge business relevance. I think, again, one of the key issues in terms of uh, performing well in a rapidly changing world is making the journey beyond fear, both as the CEO and as the employees within your company. If they're all driven by fear, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, um, yeah. So which is it, which is which is a status quo in some organizations, which is oh, not good, but that's it's reality, right? So, no, I, I think it's the status quo in most, if not all, organizations today. Certainly, large organizations around the world, I think, are very much driven by a culture of fear. The way to get workers to work is to tell them if they don't work harder, they're going to lose their jobs. And, okay, <laughs> that's a good motivator. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I think that that's uh, that. Uh, but I, the book is relevant, I think, to ev everyone. You know, whether or not they're in a large company, a small company, or just out in part of a family. I mean, in the family, you've got huge issues around fear of your parents, fear of your children, fear of yourself. Um, there's a lot of fear around. So let's can we at a at a high level break down those three pillars so people can dive a little bit deeper because then then this will this will cue it up they want to like go real deep and get the book but I want to I want to bring out a couple like tactical takeaways for people that are listening so you sure. said narratives passion yeah. and then platforms so yeah. first one narratives are not stories what does that mean so just contest <laughs> somebody hearing that they're not going to understand what what do you mean narratives are not stories how does this have any impact on whether yeah. I'm going to lose my job. Well, most people, again, view narratives and stories to be the same thing. They're synonymous. You know, you can use either word. I make a big distinction between them. And for me, a story is self-contained. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end to it. The end. The story's over. And the story is about me, the storyteller, or it's about some other people, real or imagined. But it's not about you. You can use your imagination, figure out what you would have done in that story, but it's not about you. So that's a story, at least the way I, I talk about it. For me, a narrative is very different. First of all, it's open-ended. There is no resolution yet. There's some kind of big threat or opportunity out in the future. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, BetterHelp. If you want to take advantage of a special promo, BetterHelp is offering all Success Story podcast listeners. Go to betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary. Betterhelp.com slash S-C-O-T-T-C-L-A-R-Y. So what is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is therapy, for lack of a better term. It's the best way to give yourself routine maintenance for your mental and emotional well-being. And the best way to think about therapy is usually through analogies. We always get our cars tuned to prevent bigger issues down the road. 
we get annual checkups and we go to the gym to maintain physical health so that we don't get out of shape. We want to prevent injury, we want to prevent disease. We do chores regularly so they don't all pile up and have a huge giant mess in your house by the end of the week. Going to therapy is like all of the above. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that you're investing in yourself and keeping your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy from the comfort of your home. It offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You communicate the way you feel comfortable. It is so much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start speaking to somebody in under 48 hours. Take care of your mind before any more bad stuff happens. Success Story is sponsored by BetterHelp. You get 10% off if you use this specific URL to sign up for your first session. So go to betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary, betterhelp.com slash Scott Clary, and you will get 10% off BetterHelp. Not clear whether it's going to be achieved or not. And the resolution of the narrative hinges on you. It's a call to action to say your choices, your actions are going to help determine how this narrative resolves. So it's that call to action. And I think tying it back to fear, and I talk about narratives at many levels. So I think there's personal narratives. I think there are corporate narratives, geographic narratives, movement narratives. But starting with the individual, I believe most of us, first of all, we've never really stepped back to articulate what's the narrative that's driving our life. What's our view of the future? Is it primarily driven by threat or primarily driven by opportunity? And if so, what threat or what opportunity? And then what's our call to action to others? You know, do we have a call to action to others? Because in, in my experience, many of us who are increasingly consumed by fear because we're focusing on threat in the future, we lose trust in other people. We can't afford to rely on other people. We have to do it all ourselves. So there is no call to action to others. We become increasingly isolated versus, no, we're, we, I want people to come together and help me to address this really big, exciting opportunity that's out in the future. And so I think the process of just stepping back and articulating that narrative that we have today, what is it that's driving our actions and choices today, but then reflecting on it to say, is this really the narrative that's going to help me to get the most impact that's meaningful to me? It can be very powerful. I view it as a catalyst in the journey beyond fear, because in my experience, people who go through this exercise, you know, they they come up with this uh, aha moment that they actually are focusing on fear and the, on threat in the future. And that's what's driving their, their fear. And, and, they're, and what's driving their, their current day actions, right? Because exactly, yeah. Without them, yeah. Very interesting. So this is almost taking like, uh, you know, it's always best practice to even have a personal, you know, one, three, five-year plan. But many mm-hmm. people don't even have that. This is taking it to another degree. Just to have yeah. your own personal narrative for your life. Yes. Correct. What's the okay. big long-term threat or opportunity? You know, not just next six months or even year, or decades ahead. What's the big yeah. threat or opportunity that's motivating you today? That's motivating your actions today. And so that's, yeah, amazing. That's a, that's very powerful. That's very. It's a very very good, incredible idea for people to take on. Um, okay. The second piece 
But well, actually, can I just oh. mention a, a corporate yeah. narrative? Because I think, again, I talked about personal narratives, but corporate narratives yeah. increasingly, I think, are important. And here, the challenge I find is when I talk to executives about corporate narratives, they say, oh, we have a narrative. We began in a garage. We faced incredible <laughs> obstacles. We overcame them and accomplished amazing things. That's our narrative. And my point is, no, that's about you. What's your call to action to your customers, to the prospects out there? What's the big, exciting opportunity for them? And what action do they need to take? And it's not buy your product. It's some action that is meaningful to them that will help them get that opportunity. And just a quick example on that, because I think there are very few corporate narratives, but hugely powerful in a world increasingly driven by fear is what Apple Computer did in back in the 90s. They had this narrative that was framed around a slogan of think different. But if you unpack the slogan, it was, you know, for decades we had digital technology that took away our names, gave us numbers, put us in cubicles. Now for the first time, there's a generation of technology where we can express our unique potential and individuality. But it's not going to happen automatically. You need to think different. Will you think different? And it's the reason why for many people, I think Apple became the equivalent of a religion. They were talking about such a deep aspiration that customers had. And they weren't talking about Apple. They were talking about the customer and the opportunity for the customer and the actions they needed to take. So anyway, I'll just uh, offer that as, I think, an additional opportunity here that is missed by most companies. Very good example. Um, are there any modern organizations that you see having great narratives? That's a great. That's a great example. I, I'm just curious if any any anyone else has risen to that. You level. know there there are so few examples. I mean, somewhat contemporary. Uh, you know, Nike um, with just do it was kind of an interesting example of that, the opportunity we all have to achieve more of our physical uh, potential. Um, mm. And then uh, uh, Airbnb today is, it, it's not fully uh, developed and moved, but it's, it's a narrative around the slogan of belong anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's the notion that we as tourists only see a tiny fragment of the world that we're visiting. But the key is how do we find ways to belong in the environments that we're in and that we can belong anywhere, but we need to focus on that as the opportunity. And so, um, yeah. Very good. All right. The second, second pillar is passion. Um, sound, again, sounds great at a high level. Everybody wants to be passionate. Uh, I don't think anybody would argue that. Um, but what does passion mean in the context of fear and overcoming fear? Yeah. So, um, first of all, again, I get everybody in my experience has a different definition of passion. Uh, based on my research, I've ended up focusing on a very specific form of passion. I call it the passion of the explorer. And it has three components to it. One is people who have this passion have a long-term commitment to having an increasing impact in a domain that excites them. So they're there for the future and, and having more and more impact there. Second item is when confronted with unexpected challenges, they get excited. This is an opportunity for them to learn how to have even more impact. 
So they're excited by it. And then the third element is when they're confronted with these unexpected challenges, <clears throat> their first reaction is, who else can I connect with who can help me get to a better answer faster? So they're extremely well connected. <clears throat> and I think that that's the combination of those three elements. Now you turn mounting performance pressure into excitement. This is an opportunity to have more and more impact in the area that really excites me. So I think that, um, you know, and, and I would say one of the challenges we face is that, uh, and I'm going to generalize, but I think particularly in large organizations around the world, passion is deeply suspect. You don't want passionate people, this kind of passion. When I talk to work executives about passion, they say, oh yeah, we want passionate workers who will work nights and weekends for on That's their assigned tasks. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, the passion that I'm talking about, those people ask a lot of questions. That's distracting. Why do we ask so many questions? They take too much risk. They deviate from the script that they've been assigned. No, we don't want passionate workers. We want workers who will do their assigned tasks reliably and efficiently. It's the reason why, again, I did a survey of the, in the U.S. workforce at most, 14% of U.S. workers have this kind of passion of the explorer about their work. 86% do not. So I think it's a huge opportunity and need for all of us to really find the passion that, that excites us and find a way to really focus on it and, and in an environment and culture where we're discouraged from it. I mean, again, even in, in school, we were taught, you know, Listen to the teacher. Memorize what the teacher has to say. If you've got a passion, do it out on the playground. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Leica. Now today, compliance is mandatory for every single technology-powered business. From increasing regulatory requirements to customer uh, security questions, wondering how personal and private data is stored, collected, and kept safe, Businesses need compliance to scale and grow. Leica makes the entire compliance process simple. Their platform combines automation with built-in expertise to help companies get certified, close deals, and approach compliance the right way. Leica goes beyond simple integrations. Their platform connects to your everyday applications and applies actual human expertise to a robust software that powers compliance. They easily connect to all of your applications and create tailored policies based on your business. Then compliance experts guide you through automated workflows designed to help you conquer certifications like SOC 2, HIPAA, and GDPR. And Leica is the only compliance solution that offers a true integrated audit solution. No more messy spreadsheets or miscellaneous audit documents. Their team of experts manage your compliance audit from start to finish with full progress tracking in the actual app. And Leica is more than a one-time solution. So after you've set yourself up, maintain 100% that you are always compliant going forward with custom monitors and alerts. Compliance is difficult. It's messy, it's confusing, but it's also a necessity. So we all have to figure it out. And it's hard to unpack the requirements when we don't know what they mean. Or how do we apply them in a certain way that makes sense with our budget and our stage of growth? So this is what Leica does for you. It removes all the compliance headaches. And again, not just software, but you get access to a full team 
of specialists that do this 24-7, 365. So if you are a business leader and you are trying to figure out how to be compliant, because again, you have to figure it out. Leica is the only software I've ever found, and not just software, but team that fully supports business leaders that are trying to get this done right. So all Success Story podcast listeners get 20% off Leica whenever you sign up, but you have to go visit heyleica.com slash success, and you will get your exclusive deal just for Success Story podcast listeners. That's H-E-Y-L-A-I-K-A dot com slash success to request a demo and get 20% off when you sign up for Leica. I think the challenge for me is I use platforms and everybody in business today talks about platforms. Platforms rule the world. They're all over. They're everywhere. My view is actually there are many platforms today, but they're not the kind of platform that I think has the greatest ability to help us on that journey beyond fear. So generalizing, most of the platforms today support short-term transactions, you know, like a retail platform, connecting buyers and sellers so they can buy something. Um, or social platforms where you're helping people to connect with friends, family, larger networks of people and build relationships with them, conversations. I don't want to dismiss that. There's value in the that kind of platform as well. But the missing element, the platform that I think we still have an opportunity to develop and deploy is where the primary design goal of the platform is to help everyone on the platform to learn faster together. And I, I hasten again because now I talk about learning. When, when I talk to most people about learning, they think about training programs or classes. And yes, we have platforms where you can sign up for a video class and learn something. No, I'm talking about a different form of learning. In a world that's rapidly changing, existing knowledge becomes obsolete at an accelerating rate. So if you're just sharing existing knowledge, that's not going to have as much impact is if you're learning in the form of creating new knowledge, new knowledge that never existed before because the world is changing and there are new situations, new opportunities, new approaches. How can we learn about those faster? And so me, for me, the goal of this platform is to help people focus on learning in the form of creating new knowledge through action. You don't learn, this form of learning doesn't occur in a classroom. It occurs through action and observing the impact that you've achieved. And I'll mention another element that I think is critical on the platform, and it's again a theme in the book, but I believe that no matter how smart or talented you are as an individual, you're going to learn a lot faster as part of a small group. I've come to call them impact groups, but they're typically somewhere between three to 15 people at most who are have a shared commitment to having increasing impact in a particular area. And they're, they're constantly, um, on the one side, they're constantly supporting each other. So if you run into an unexpected failure, not to worry, let's keep going. But on the other side, they're constantly challenging each other. They're constantly asking, why can't we get even more impact? How could we get more impact? And so it's that combination of support and challenging and that shared excitement about getting to more impact in a particular domain 
that makes these impact groups so critical. So these learning platforms, I believe the core unit of organization on these platforms will be impact groups, creating shared workspaces for these impact groups, and then connecting the impact groups into broader networks so the learning can go exponential. So that's uh, my concept of a learning platform. Do you, do you have examples of companies or independent platforms where people join these, they ideate, and 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 you've seen this acted on, affected like like there's been like use cases of these types of platforms that you have seen work well, or is this still like very theoretical and conceptual? I'm sure like obviously an impact group, getting together with like-minded peers, hold yourself accountable to push yourself harder. Like this all makes a lot of sense in practice. Yeah. Um, but where do people go if they wanted to join? Is this like you just calling up your neighbors? Is this in a professional environment? Is this something that uh, organizations are helping put together within their own? Um, within their own, you know, own walls. But let me know, like, walk me through that. Yeah, uh, longer conversation. I, I basically do not believe we have any good, fully developed examples of learning platforms. So it's like most of my work is okay. anticipating opportunities. And I can point to some early initiatives that kind of are suggestive in terms of these kind of learning platforms. But um you know, one of the areas that I've spent time on is big wave surfing, uh, extreme sports. And the ex big wave surfers have created a kind of a collage of platform. They, they find ways to connect with each other in small groups online. Uh, they have discussion forums where they can connect with big wave surfers around the world. They have video uh, collections where they can watch surfers around the world. Uh, so they're learning together, in, in, but they, they form small groups as their core learning unit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'll just mention quickly uh, in a business context, one example that intrigues me, very not very well known, but in the early days of digital music uh, devices, there was a startup called Portal Player. Uh, where the founders saw this incredible opportunity to make this a, a mass market consumer device. At the time, the technology was just so far behind. There was no way you could make it an, a, an attractive consumer device. Uh, they created a global platform where they brought together technology leaders from different parts of the total technology architecture and created challenges for them to uh, develop technology that could enhance performance in different areas. And again, longer story, but they, they actually yeah. became the, the core element in, the, uh, in Apple's iPod. When Apple introduced the iPod, hmm. Portal Player's platform was the, was the key technology underpinning of it. No, I appreciate that. And, and I, I, I just thought it would be good to walk through a uh, an example of one that somebody could even go participate in. Uh, but it seems like this is not like, cause I see masterminds, like that's really what I was alluding to. I see masterminds and I see groups like that. And I feel like that's not what you're alluding to here. These are not perfect use cases or even close to being perfect use cases of these impact groups that are truly sharing new knowledge versus yeah. potentially just regurgitating existing. Yeah, and my general advice to people as they start this journey is focus on finding an impact group, typically of people that are in your area, geographic area, where you can actually meet mm -hmm. 
on a frequent basis. These impact groups meet at least weekly, if not more frequently, and where you can build deep trust-based relationships with each other. Uh, but the key is finding people who are excited by the same opportunity and wanting to learn through action versus just conversation, discussion groups. And this can be in a professional environment. This could be for in a personal environment as well. It doesn't matter. It's just... Yeah. Okay. No, totally. Yeah, one of, one of the early one of the early examples of uh, of this kind of platform again not not a good one because it didn't really focus on impact groups but uh, was um, oh, now I'm going to blank on it it was started by Johnson and Johnson for parents with small children with babies a huge life event very mm -hmm. challenging for many parents it was an opportunity to connect with other parents to learn how to be a better parent and address the yeah. challenges, the unexpected challenges they were facing. Uh, Baby Center, I think, was the, the name of it. So, um, yeah. Very good. Okay. Um, all right, so we broke it down three pillars. I always like to ask uh, some just rapid-fire career questions at the end, but before I pivot, was there anything else that you wanted to bring out of the book that was that was like a major theme or some just some learnings that you wanted to leave people with, or did we go into most everything? I think we went through most everything. I think, again, part of it was a personal journey. And I would say that I didn't really discover fully uh, or evolve my narrative, personal narrative, or discover my real passion until I was in my 50s. And so part of my message is this can be done at any age. It's not just for children or you know p younger people. It can be done at any age. But my hope is by sharing my lessons, People can do it at a younger age because the earlier you, you find your passion and evolve your narrative, the more you'll make the journey beyond fear. So, yeah. You'll live a happier life. That's, that's yeah. really the end goal. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Um, some rapid fire career questions. Feel free to go as in depth or as, as high level as you'd like. Uh, you've had an incredible career. Um, so, I just want to get people to learn where you've had successes and failures. So biggest challenge in your career, what was it and how did you overcome it? Wow, I, you know, I'd say my biggest challenge has occurred repeatedly. It's not just a one-time event, but my biggest challenge, at least in my career, I think is uh, being able to leave something that I'm doing or a place that I am when I'm not learning fast enough. You know, it, mm. I, I, often came up with this because I've done many different things in my life, but the, the notion of being willing to leave when you're, you're suddenly leveling off in terms of your learning, not learning fast enough, and going to find another environment where you can learn fast enough is very challenging. I mean, you want, don't want to leave the safety of your current employment or activities and go off into a new area. And so that's been my challenge throughout, but I've managed to do that. If you could choose one person um, that has had a major impact on your life, it can be personal or professional, who would that be and what did they teach you? Wow. Um, I'll mention two just quickly. Uh, sure. Sir, Sir Ken Robinson uh, has had a lot of impact on me in terms of really attacking the educational systems we have and how we need to fundamentally rethink our educational systems from the ground up. And then Carol Dweck, who's uh, written a great book that I highly recommend called Mindset, which makes the contrast between a fixed mindset 
and a growth mindset and encourages all of us to cultivate that growth mindset. Huge influence and inspiration for me, for sure. If you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? <laughs> um, you know, again, given my own life experience, it would be forget about what others want from you or expect from you and focus on what really excites you the most. I mean, I think so many of us as youngsters are listening to our parents, listening to our teachers and our communities on what's really what we should be doing versus, no, what is it that really excites you? And uh, if I had known that when I was 20, I might not have done as much uh, of my schooling and might have actually gone off and done some more powerful things earlier. Uh, a book or a podcast that you'd recommend people go check out? Um, well, I, I think I mentioned um, the uh, the book, uh, the Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. But I, you know, in general, I I've, I have a huge library. I've got over ten thousand books, so I'm a big bibliophile. But over time, I've come to find that actually social media, done in the right way, can be a huge learning vehicle. Connecting with the right people, connecting with other people who are driven by excitement about learning and just seeing what they what they cite in their posts is has been I've gotten a lot of unexpected ideas and insights from those people. Good advice. Um and then uh last question, what does success mean to you? Wow. Um I I think uh for me the success is just achieving more and more impact that matters to me and so it's really being thoughtful about what is the impact that matters and that's the the focus of the passion of the explorer and right now it's this notion of finding ways to design and deploy these learning platforms that can help others to achieve more potential very good um okay and then uh where do people connect with you so website social where do they get the book? Yeah, well, the book hopefully is available in many bookstores at this point, but if not, it's uh, available through Amazon for sure. Um, you can go there and buy it. Um, and then to connect with me, I've got a website, johnhagel.com, uh, and I collect a lot of my writings and things there. I do blog posts there, and, um, and then I'm active on social media. I'm active on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or the three three platforms that I'm most uh, active on. So, And you can get those all from your website as well. Yeah, or just you know look up my name on, on any of those okay. websites, on any of those social media platforms, yeah. Perfect. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. 
Now, I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 